And they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at one of my favorite places, Kibrot Chata'ava. Can you try that? Kibrot? Come on, that's just fun, right? Chata'ava. So listen how, like, listen how Hebrew you sound. Chata'ava. It, by the way, means graves of craving, right? And they moved from graves of, cavering, of, of craving and camped at Chitzorot. And from Chitzorot, by the way, they camped at Grithma. Now, Chitzorot, by the way, means yards, like enclosed by a fence. Grithma means a Spanish boomer, a juniper tree. And they moved from the juniper tree and camped at Rimon Perez, which, by the way, one of my places, it means, my favorites, it means the pomegranate that breaks through. Okay, you, I didn't name it. Uh, and they moved from breakthrough pomegranate and camped at Libna, which means a white tree. And from there, they camped then at Risa, which means a ruin. And they moved from ruin and camped then at Kehelatha, which means convocation or calling together. And then they moved then from Kehelatha and camped at Mount Shefer. By the way, that's an important word, ladies. Shefer is one of the words for beautiful. So it means beautiful mountain. And they moved from the beautiful mountain and camped at Hrada, which, by the way, means fear and anxiety. Weird how those two words are put next to each other. And they moved from fear or anxiety and camped at Nachelot, which means assemblies. And from assemblies, they camped at Tachat, which means bottom. From bottom, they camped at Tara, which means delay. And from delay, they camped at Mitka, which means sweetness. From sweetness, they camped at Hashmona, which means fertile. By the way, even today, there is a place in Israel, it's a Christian kibbutz called Yad Hashmona, which means the fertile hand. Uh, from, from fertile, they camped at Mesorot, which, by the way, means correction. And from correction, they camped at Bene Ya'akan, which, by the way, means twisted sons. There you go. <coughs> and they moved from there to one of my favorite places, Hor Hagidgad. Who names their town Hor Hagidgad, which means a hole in the cleft. And from a hole in the cleft, they moved then to Yatbata, which means pleasantness. And from pleasantness, they camped at the Brona, which means transitional. And then from there to Etienne Geber, which means backbone. Now, before we, and we're only going to go, by the way, uh, probably, to, to be honest, to um, 49, where there's, uh, the, it's a review of where we've been. And, and I just, uh, to be honest, I've been looking forward for this chapter since the beginning of Exodus, believe it or not. Look at verse 36. They moved from Etienne Geber, backbone, and camped in the wilderness of Zin. From the wilderness of Zin, mean, by the way, means a crag, which is Kadesh, which means sanctuary. Remember, Kadesh was originally Kadesh Barnea, which means the, the sanctuary of the wanderer. And they moved from Kadesh and camped in Mount Hor, which is one of my favorite places because Hor means mountain. So Mount Hor means Mount Mountain. There you go. But if any of you are familiar with sports teams, for instance, America has the Los Angeles Angels. The problem is Los Angeles means the Angels. So the Los Angeles Angels means the, the Angels, Angels. There you go. So Mount Mountain it is. And they went from there to a place called the Land of Red or Edom. Now, it's there in Mount Hor, by the way, we read that in verse 38, that Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord, and he died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. On the first day of the fifth month, Aaron was 120 years old, 23 years old, by the way, when he died on Mount Hor. Now the king of Arad, the king, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel, and so they, they departed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmonna, 
Zalmona, by the way, means shadiness. And they departed from shadiness and camped at Punan, which means perplexity. Departed from perplexity and camped at Obot, which means water skins. They departed from water skins and camped at Iya Abarim, which means the ruin of the passers. I don't know about you, but anyone that, that there's a place called ruin of the passers, I don't think it's a place to visit. Just, I don't know. That's the way I think. At the border of Moab, actually, I kind of think, oh, that's what's there. They camped, then they departed from Yim and camped at Dibon Gad, which means, by the way, a crowd that gets really sad. And from a, a, a sad crowd, they camped, then at, they moved from there and camped at Almon de Blafaim, which means the hidden place that, where that's pressed together. And they moved from the hidden pressed together place, camped at the mountains of Abarim, the regions beyond before Nebo, which means prophet. They departed from the mountains of Abarim and camped at the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. They camped by the Jordan, by Beth Yeshimon, as far as Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. And you go, wow, that's where we're going to be today. Oh, are you in for it? Pray with me. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for this text and everything you were about to do. Lord, I'm so excited to see how you are going to take this text and just shape our hearts and move us profoundly and do beautiful, beautiful things. And so, Lord, I pray we wouldn't miss a beat, that there would be nothing we would miss, but, Lord, that, that you would take every one of us and just get us in the heart today. God, that we would hear your voice, that we would know you better and love you more and want you more. And so, Lord, please, today, let your scripture burst open and come alive. And may we today be radically and profoundly affected as we seek your face, Lord. Bless this time. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Do through me what I cannot humanly do. And Lord, speak to every one of us at our heart of hearts today that every one of us will be personally spoken to, that we would hear your voice, that you would perform the therapy you desire. If there be any who have yet to say yes to you, let this be the day of their salvation. If there are any, Lord, who are struggling, let this be the day it's resolved, that they find strength and encouragement and resolve to follow you with everything today. So, Lord, please, we submit every second of this to you. Have your way, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final say. So why a chapter like this? I mean, the Bible's big enough, and we have a chapter here with at least 47 different place names. Why this? Well, I actually can't imagine a place more fitting than what God's just doing here. In the last chapter, now understand, for 40 years we've been wandering in the wilderness in one manner or another, and we have now approached the Jordan one more time with the opportunity that across this Jordan, a river that is as far as basically from here to that wall, on the other side of that is a land God has promised, a land that is overflowing, a land full of fruitfulness, a land with God's pleasure, a place where we can rest in the Lord and say this is the headquarters God has established to reach the whole world. But it's not an easy journey there. And there is this weird momentum that takes place at this moment. Oh, we're already out of Egypt. Isn't that enough? I mean, we're out of the land of slavery. We're out of the hand of bondage. Isn't that enough? We've seen Pharaoh's army drowned. Isn't that enough? And that becomes the problem in this chapter is, is it really enough? Now, understand, in the last chapter, this is what we had to deal with. 
In the last chapter, we had now seen victory on the east side of the Jordan. And go ahead and flash up that map if you would. We've had victory on the east side of the Jordan. See, this is kind of the wandering. This is the land of Israel. Aha, here. And whoa. And as this is the land of Israel, we have this Jordan River here that separates from the Dead Sea up to the, of the Sea of Galilee. To the east of it was the land where we're at, ready to cross the Jordan. And by the end of the chapter, well, let's say this, at the beginning of the chapter, two tribes come up to Moses and say, this is good enough. Okay, it's not what God really said, but it's better than any place we've ever been. Please hear me. Just because your life is better than it's ever been does not mean it's exactly where God wants you. It may be that what it is is it's a stopping place for a place so good you can't even fathom. You can't even imagine, and that becomes the problem. But that whole good enough mindset, man, just don't cut it with God. God's not a good enough God. He's an awesome God. He's an amazing God. He's a mind-blowing God. And if our life isn't like that, God's got further for us to go than we're at. And I can tell you when you get there, because when you're totally there, sooner or later, he's just going to take you home. And then you'll be like, you're right, it doesn't get any better than this. Now, please hear me. By the beginning of the chapter, there are two tribes, Reuben and Gad, that say, hey, 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 can we just stay here? By the end of the chapter, two and a half tribes are staying there, which tells us that there is a momentum and I said, oh, this is starting to gain a little bit of traction here. And I wonder if God didn't intervene, if there wouldn't be a whole lot of people and a whole lot of tribes. Go, you know what? East looks okay to me too. And that becomes the problem, beloved. It doesn't take much to create this kind of momentum. So listen to me. Here's the problem. You've got of the 12 tribes, two and a half of them that say, this is good enough. And that's starting to create this momentum away from the promised land. On the other side of it, you've got then, <coughs> excuse me, nine and a half tribes that are looking and realize that to cross this, we have to go across the Jordan and we have to go and fight battles on the other side to get the land God had already promised. And there's no momentum going in that direction. Because all the momentum is now starting with this, this is good enough. Oh, come on, are you going overboard with this Jesus thing? You know what I've learned? Of all the world that I've ever been in, and I've always, I'm sure this surprises you, I've always been a just let's go for it with all we've got kind of person. The only thing you can't OD on is Jesus. And I challenge you to prove me wrong. And here comes the problem. With this, how do we then start switching that momentum? Because you know what happens in every church too, beloved? See, what happens is there are people that are like, oh, yeah, I, okay, so, yeah, you're, you're busting out of that relationship because it's not godly. And you're, you're changing your lifestyle because it's not godly. And, and you know you're, you're, you're actually, instead of going to the clubs, now you're actually going to a Bible study. I mean, and then Christians start looking and going, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your nut? Chill out. Can't you just get into heaven and sit on the grass? Why do you like really want to like get that well done, good and faithful servant thing? Do you know why? Because inside God placed it within our hearts. There's a part of us that knows there's better than this. But it is better than we've been. It's just not best. But we're on the trajectory for it. And this is what God does. Is he brings review of their time in the wilderness. 
this chapter is God interposing into this momentum a way to actually stop more tribes from staying on this side and get us all going, let's go there. Does that make sense? So though you look at this and you go, names and names, and I've never been here, and what in the world, and how do I say that, and is this a, is this a mountain in Iceland? I mean, and you're looking at all these places. Here's the interesting thing. Of the 47 or so place names, 12 of them are highlit. 12 of them are highlit. Of the 12 that are highlit, only a few of them are mentioned here by specific mention of some event. But I'd like to kind of walk us through, and this is my challenge for every one of you as we walk through this. We will not be stopping at every place because, to be honest, if 12 of those places are mentioned, that means that 35 or so of the places we really don't have any information on, truth be told. But that doesn't mean they don't. See, there are those places where God's going to happen. It's just you and him. Where it's just a moment where God met you and you could tell other people about it. But you know, in the essence of it, though you could speak with the greatest starry eyes and a heart that is burst open with wonder, it's still in the end of it, you kind of go, oh, you kind of had to be there. And then there are other places where God will do it with other people and he'll do something so profound like in a room like this, in a moment like this, where we all can look back and go, whoa, remember when that happened? So listen, though there are all these place names, the majority of them are places that Israel would know intimately, but we as readers don't. Does that make sense? But there are places within this that God makes special note of as he lists through these. And by the way, he doesn't list every place in this either. And I'll get to that in a moment. So listen. Here we are now, imagine, standing at the banks of the Jordan, across from us the land God promised. And not just like heaven, but a place of fruitfulness, a place of abundance, that God wants to use us to change the world, to set up headquarters so that all of London could be transformed. And he wants to use you to be a part of it. And over here now, a group of people that go, oh, I don't know, this is good enough, going to church is enough. You know, I don't really need a quiet time. I don't really need an intimate walk with God. I mean, let's face it. I'm just kind of hedging my bets with the whole I went to church thing. I raised my hand once. I have a Bible. haven't opened it. It's whole, it, but, but it looks lovely on my coffee table. But, you know, it's there. I wipe it off. I wipe the dust off every Sunday before I get to church. I have it. I have an app on my phone. I haven't never looked at it, but it's on there. So when I go to church, I make sure that it's on that particular screen, so you can check it out, my Bible app. I happen to have, by the way, 40 Bible apps because I'm a pastor. I have to. I'm just kidding. No, I, I do, but they have purpose, most of them. Some of them, I go, oh, wow, I have that. That's cool. And here we are looking at it, and behind us, now follow me on this, behind us is the vast graveyard of past failures. It's a buried generation, a group of people Think of it this way, like a mosaic that are full of grains of sand of tiny moments where we caved and we fell and we failed and God rescued. And, and by the way, God's not going to review this with the purpose of saying, remember when you did these stupid things? Because that's not the point. In the essence of it, we could look back at our past and see one of two things, or both. Our failures or God's faithfulness. Which one do you want to focus on? When we look back, now please hear me, if I could put it in the simplest sense, and if you're new to the Bible, listen, these people were slaves for 400 years in Egypt, in a town called Ramses. And for 400 years they were slaves there, and then God took them out. 
And basically, if you could think of it this way, that God basically, our major points is to go from this place of slavery to Mount Sinai, and then from Mount Sinai into the promised land. If we went as simple as we could. Listen to this. From the slavery to Mount Sinai, or Sinai properly, we have to cross the Red Sea, and the enemy has to be destroyed. The enemy has to be destroyed if we're ever going to get to that place where we could worship God. You're with me so far? So we start in slavery, we cross through the Red Sea, the enemy is destroyed, and we get to Mount Sinai, where God, by the way, establishes us as a people. We get his law, we get the tabernacle, we get our marching orders, where to sit within it. Every one of us identified by name, by family there. And then we leave there, and we have to go from there to the promised land, and we also have to cross a river. This time it's the Jordan, but this time instead of the enemy having to die, the enemy without, now it's the enemy within, and the first generation has to die for us to get there. The enemy has to die from here to there to Sinai, but from Sinai to the promised land, that first old man has to die to get to that place of fruitfulness. And both things happen. We have to walk through the river, and we have to stand there with the Lord, and then we have to walk through the river and then be with him. It's a place of fruitfulness. And that's really the sum of it. But here's the problem. It's been a long road. It's been a long and winding road. But how important it is at a moment like this to review God's rap sheet. It's Second Chronicles chapter 20, by the way. It's Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is facing a big battle. It's, Mount, it's Moab. It is Mount Seir. It is the Syrians, Ammonites. And they have gathered together for battle. And they are like sand on the seashore, innumerable. And this is Joshua. I'm sorry, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. Listen. He says, O oh God, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not... Our God, who drove out the inhabitants of the land before the peop- your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, and we dwell in it. And have built sanctuary in your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we cry out in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. You promised us this. Well, now... Here are these people, Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you will not let Israel invade when they came into the land of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Now, here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession in which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we even know what to do. But our eyes are on you. I love that prayer. Because the whole purpose of it, he goes, look at, in the simplest sense, imagine the leader of all of these people looking and going, I don't know what to do. They're bigger. They're stronger. I don't know what to do. And you think, wow, that was a great pep speech. Thank you very much. He goes, but, but our eyes are on you, Lord. Aren't you the God who took down every invincible enemy before us? They were clearly vincible. Aren't you the God who took all that down? Let's review your rap sheet. Aren't you the one who promised us that if we would turn to you, you would take care of this? Well, I'm turning to you. My eyes are on you. It is from this, by the way, that Yahatia will stand up in verse 14, by the way, the son of Zechariah, and he'll say, hey, the battle is not yours, but God's. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That comes from this text. And I get this. 
hey, the Lord has a place for you that's greater than the place you're in right now. And even if the place you're in right now is the best place you've ever been, it doesn't mean it's the best place you'll ever be. But for that to happen, I'd like you to review for a moment God's rap sheet. And as we go through and stop at these 12 quick stops along the way, I'd like to challenge you for what they learned there. I bet you have a place like that in your own life and in your own testimony as well. That's the point of it. It tells us in Romans 15:4, by the way, that whatever things were written were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We read through this. My prayer today is that you would have patience and comfort and hope as a result of this. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, that these things became our examples, that we shouldn't lust after the evil things in which they also lusted after. My prayers as we go through this will be warned like they are. In 1 Corinthians 10, just five verses later, in verse 11, it says, Now these things all happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. May they also be warnings to us then. So though chapter 32 will be, remember, this is good enough. Let's stop here. The rest of this book, do you realize we only have chapters 34, 35, and 36, and we're done with the book of Numbers? You aware of that? All three of those chapters will be looking forward to that promised land. It will be about the boundaries. It will be about the leaders that will carry the lots. It will be about the cities of refuge and even giving to the daughters of Zelophehad. All of that will be what's ahead of us. So this is our turning point from facing forward. That's the point. So look at it with me then. <clears throat> it tells us in verse 1, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies. By the way, slaves aren't armies. Isn't it interesting that when they came out, they came out as armies? It's exactly, by the way, what he says in Exodus 12:41. When they left, they left soldiers. Please hear me. You might have been saved by Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you have. And if you haven't, I'll give you that choice today. But let me hear me on this. When you get saved, God makes you a soldier. Paul will speak, by the way, of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25. And he calls him my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Paul saw himself as a soldier, therefore, as well. In 2 Timothy 2, as he speaks to Timothy, as Paul's about to pass over the baton, he says in verse 3, You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, but that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In Philemon, verse 2, he tells us as well that Archippus is a fellow soldier. God has called you to the battle, beloved. But the battle is not meaningless. The battle is to take ground and see the victory of Christ. To watch the people in your lives that were addicted set free and call out to the name of God. To see those that were hopeless set free and call on the name of God. To see those that were strangled by darkness now fall into the arms of the God of light. That's what God intended, and we are the ambassadors of that kingdom. So listen. Moses wrote down, verse 2, the starting points of the journeys at the command of the Lord. God said, listen, Moses, Mo, now it's time to get writing. And imagine Moses writing all this down. The difference between us reading it and Moses writing it is that when Moses wrote this down, every place he wrote down, I bet he had a memory. He was like, oh, yeah. Those places that we look at and we stumble over our tongues. He goes, so Moses, let's write this down. Now that people are deciding whether to stay here across the Jordan, let's take a look at it together. We start in our place of bondage. Do you remember that? 
Do you remember? And by the way, you're like, well, I've never been in bondage. Listen, Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to it. Whether we like it or not, every human being is addicted. We're addicted to our own destruction. But through the gift of Jesus Christ, he's come to set us free. And that's where we start this. They departed in verse 3 from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, and the day after Passover. And the children of Israel went out. Remember, just before this, they were beat. They were, I mean, it's like you were just enslaved. And it's like you just did it and you caved in. And you, you ever have those moments where you cave in and then afterwards you're like, why did I do that? How stupid can I be? I knew that was wrong. I knew what the consequences were, but I did it anyways. What was, what was I like? Am, am, am I, is my head wrong? I know what's wrong there, but I did it anyways. We'll understand these people, that's where they were for 400 years. But they went out, by the way, with a rum yub, which literally means a high hand. We see it here as boldness. I tend to think of it this way. They all came out giving each other high fives. That's a high hand. Woo! Bam, bam, bam. But I've played sports, and I get that, where those teams come out, and they're like, yeah! That's the way these people came out. <coughs> I don't understand. Just the day before, that wasn't the case. Just the day before, they were suckers to the to Pharaoh. And they were, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. But now, hands raised, we left. Do you even know that? Do you know the freedom that comes at Jesus Christ? Jesus came and he said he came to set the captives free. To proclaim liberty to those who are in captivity. And the only people who remain in captivity will be those who refuse to accept the fact they are in captivity. It's that simple. It's like God saying, I'll pay your debt, but you're like, I refuse to admit I owe anything. How stupid can you be with all due respect? If God wants to pay all your bills, man, I would, I, would have, I would have said, man, I wish I'd have bought a house yesterday. Here's my car payment. Here's my house payment. Here's that. And it's like, oh, and by the way, here's that, that wonderful surprise, you know, council tax. Do you pay ahead, Lord? Oh, yeah, totally do. But there will be those, ah, oh, no, I want to pay it myself. You don't have to. And for the wages of sin, it's death. Do you want to pay that? Do you want to pay a separation between you and God? Because you don't have to. He didn't create you for that. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that all of your sins could be paid for mine too. And then he rose again from the grave to offer us a brand new life. And at that point, there's nothing Pharaoh can do about it but bury his own. It tells us here, by the way, that Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians, for the Egyptians were still burying their firstborn because the Lord had taken care of them, and also he had executed judgment on all of their gods, like water to blood, canoe and hoppy, like the frogs with heket, with lice it's set, it's by it's seb, with the flies it's ukadit, by the way. The diseases on the cattle, by the way. Notice God took down the cattle in all of those plagues. They were not random acts of just of of, of vengeance. This was God disqualifying everything else you could turn to. Understand that, because maybe you didn't worship lice, which sounds reasonable. But when God 
says, you can run to that, but I'm going to show you how foolish that is. And it's a relationship to a relationship to a relationship. It's job to job to job. It's importance to importance. It's money, it's money, it's money. Whatever it is, and you get there, and it runs out. God's like, I'm still here waiting. And God systematically disqualified. But the kettle was the most amazing one to me. Because when he takes down the kettle, why do they make a golden calf later? God had already disqualified them. Apis, by the way, and Hathor. With boils, it's Sekhet, by the way, and Himhotep, by the way, who are then the Egyptian gods of healing. By that point, by the way, of course, the magicians will be expelled. With hail, it's Nut and Isis and Set. Set, by the way, the god of, according to them, the god of chaos. Who wants one of those? By the way, you're probably familiar with the fact that Calcutta is named after Kali, which is their god of chaos. People roll down hills at 100 years old with broken glass, naked, just to cut themselves up to keep their god of chaos away. And then I realized there, the last time I was in India, that people worship gods to keep them away unless they have the real one. I don't even worship God to draw him near. I worship God because he is near, because he's good, because he loves me. This is my father. That's so good. Do you know that God? It's a locust with Sephira, by the way. Serapia. With darkness, it's Ra, the sun god, and Horus, the firstborn, by the way, but that's where it comes to with this screeching halt, because understand there, it's Pharaoh himself who was responsible for the Ka, or the order of the universe, for which then God has clearly shown that he is completely impotent. And in all of this, beloved, please hear me. God says he executed judgment on all of their gods so that you knew there was no place left to turn. So you went to the bottle one more time, but it wasn't fun. You went to go and have sex with a stranger, and that wasn't fun anymore. You went to go out and try to get power and get money and get a new job and say get a new identity, but none of that was fun anymore because you met the real God and you realized that he's like, I'm here. How long before you actually humble yourself and accept the gift of my love? Because that's the problem here, and that's how this starts. Because the moment we say, all right, if you really want to love me and take all this, I'll, I'll give it to you. And that's where it starts. When we close this up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept the gift of Jesus. But let me tell you what you're in for beyond that, because that's the rest of this. Now remember, for the Israelites, that Moses is writing this down. Every place of this is a memory. And it tells us in verse 5, the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Sukkot. Sukkot, by the way, means booths. And it is there, according to Exodus chapter 13, that the pillar began to lead us. And it's here that we started to see the clear direction of God. Do you know that yet? Have you ever known that? I mean, we're not just talking about, listen, for some, have you ever just like, I don't know, for that person, it seems like God speaks to him on his bedside. But this person, God like puts signs up and they trip over flyers and posts, you know. How does that work? Because God knows how to speak fluent you. And he, the way he speaks to you may not be the same way he speaks to me because we may speak different languages. Oh, you yeah, but, but it's English. Yes, but for me, he could speak to my heart and it's enough. But for others, there might be those who are like, oh, I'm not really sure if that was God. Should I go to China? And someone calls up and goes, oh, when you you know, you know. And you're like, what? And you're like, uh, and you realize it's from China. And then you look outside and there's a bus that drives by that says, go to China. And you're like, you know, and then you tell some of your friends and like, oh, I don't get all of that. Because that's the way God spoke to you. The beautiful thing is he knows how to lead. And he knows how to lead definitively. 
It is God's responsibility to communicate with you. Don't miss that. Do you know your Sukkot yet? So for just a moment, since this is our first of our 12 stops, quickly, take a look back in your life for a moment. And if you're a note taker, write down a place where you knew God clearly spoke and directed you. That's my Sukkot. That's a Sukkot. You remember those moments? He knows how to lead you. Well, we moved from there. We moved from Sukkot because God moved us. It was that clear, and it was time to go. Verse 6 says, We departed from Sukkot, camped at Ethan, edge of the wilderness. Ethan to Pachihirot, Delsaphon Migdal. Pachihirot, by the way, fundamental. Verse 8. Because Pachihirot was where we crossed the Red Sea. So this is our second stop now. Our second stop on our review of Victory Lane with God was that time where there was no way out, but he provided one anyways. Do you remember a moment like that? Go back to your Pihahirot for a moment. That place where you look and you go, you know what, God? I'm done. I, I don't get it. I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. This is so beyond me. I'm a goner. I'm done. And then you go, oh, there's that. And he provides out of nowhere. If we're honest with ourselves, we probably have a long list, the longer we walk with God, of pihahirot moments. It's the mother it's the mother of another 12 tribes the Arab 12 tribes Hagar in the wilderness about to die she's about to die because she's dying of thirst and she throws herself down puts her child a bow shot away from her and says God just kill me first and I get it what she's saying is I just don't want to see my I'd rather die than see my son die and it says and then God opens her eyes and she is right next to a well this girl was about to die of thirst right next to a well you know what that was for her that was a pihahirot moment a mouth in the gorge do you get it? Do you know your Sukkot moments? Can you review a couple where God led you clearly? Do you know your Pihahirot moments where God made a way out of no way? Verse 8, you departed from, from this place, this Hahirot. We're in Exodus 14 and 15. And we pass through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. Three days journey now in the wilderness of Etham, and we camped at Mara. Now we're now to Exodus 15. Mara, of course, Mara means bitter, and this is now our third stop on our journey. On our third stop now, Mara was the place where the water was bitter, toxic, literally. But God said, throw in the tree, and it will be made sweet. The tree, of course, ultimately will point us to the cross, as all of this will. Because it tells us, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And then Galatians tells us that's Jesus who hung on the tree, the cross. 
And let me ask you, can you take me to any Mara moments where it was just bitter? Life was bitter, and then came Jesus, and it became sweet. It was a horrible moment. It was dark. It was scary. It was awful. But somehow in it, God took the cross, and it started busting holes in the darkness. Your life was made sweet. Some people have told us, and it blesses me beyond I can even say, how they've come into this building and it became to be a Mara moment for them. Not the bitter part, the turnaround, prayerfully. But can you tell me about your Mara moments? Those moments when you lose someone you love. When someone turns and becomes completely not who you expected. When all of a sudden, that which seemed so sweet became so bitter. And that which, the, the more you get to it, it, the more icky it gets. And you're like, oh God, please make good of this. And then he does. Well, perhaps you know then of your Mara moments. You know the danger is? When God makes something sweet, it would be very easy to stay there. But the pillar leads us on. And one of the things we learn from our history, our walk through victory lane with God, is that every place that we could have stopped at, like the Mara place, once made sweet, was better than any place we've known. And God still said, now let's move forward. Now let's move forward. Now let's move forward. And that becomes the problem, beloved, staying on the east side of the Jordan now. Because historically there have been places we've wanted to stop and say this is good enough. But he said this is just a stop, but it isn't the end. Do you get it? And the next place is that. So we've done our Ramses, our place of bondage. We've gone to our Sukkot, where God began to lead. We've gone to our Pihahirot, where we've now seen God make a way out of no way. We've gone to our Mara, where God's made that which was bittersweet. And then in verse 9 it says, We moved from Mara and came to Elam. And this, by the way, notice, with all of the places so far, God has not developed any of them. Have you noticed that it says, we came to this place, we came to this place, we camped here. But notice he didn't say anything, like he didn't review any of it. Here is the first place he does, and notice why. Verse 9, we came from Mara, so we moved from Mara, and we came to Elam. And at Elam, there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and so we camped there. Why would God develop this? Because this was the first place where there was no horrible anything. It was the first place where we just went... Ah, can't we just stay here? You see why God's bringing that up now? Because that's the problem with two and a half tribes. They're saying, can't we just stay here? Because remember Elam, how nice that was? Can you remember those moments where even in the midst of the battle, something happened and God just brought rest? And there was shade and there was sweetness. There was refreshment. My prayer is that every time you come in here will be an Elam moment. But you can't live in this building. God's got a life for you out there to affect a world to transform and he wants to use you. Can you tell me of Elam moments in your life? Those moments where, to be honest, and sometimes out of nowhere, it isn't like God said, and by the way, our next stop is going to be Elam. We, they didn't know that. All of a sudden, they come like around a corner, come over a dune or whatever, and they look and go, whoa, what's this? This is like an oasis. 
And it wasn't like it was on their diary. Tomorrow, we're going to stop at an oasis. It's just those moments where God meets you unexpectedly for you. But God already knows it. It's on his diary. Well, now you're looking and go, oh, refreshment. Thank you, God. And he had it. God had been growing those trees. God had been, God knew how to put that water there for those wells. Do you have your Elam places? Can you, if I were to ask you, if I were to come up to you afterwards, don't run from me because of this, but if I were to come up to you afterwards and say, can you give me an Elam moment? Could you give me one? Could you testify? If I were to say, could you give me a Pihahirot moment when there was nothing and God gave you something out of nothing? Can you actually tell me about a Mara moment that was so bitter, but he made it sweet? Could you tell me those moments? Because you realize this place, this Elam, it tells us it has 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And why is that important? And I'm not like a big, let's find secrets and numbers, because that's not at all. By Luke chapter 6, by the way, verse 13, Jesus sends out 12 to testify. But by Luke chapter 10, verse 1, he sends out 70. Interesting, those are the two numbers he chose to make witness. We're 12 and 70. And that's this place where we were refreshed. Can I just say, after a time of battle, a time where God's had to lead us and he's made a way out of no way, and a time where he's made the bittersweet and then he gives us refreshment so that we can actually testify to someone and send us out and say, no, God does refresh. Even in the midst of the storm, he refreshes. But you can't live at Elam. Wouldn't you like to? But you know, you would rob yourself of so much more. And that becomes the problem of these guys, by the way, that are on the east side. Because they're going to keep their kids there, remember? They're going to build up their little towns, leave their kids there. And their kids never get to see the walls of Jericho fall. Do you ever realize that? Though those guys will fight and they'll see it, they'll have to tell their kids because their kids weren't there. They'll never get to see the valley of, of Aigilon where the sun stands still. Because they were on the other side of the river. And that's what we miss when we go, isn't this good enough? You don't know what you're missing. Verse 10. And by the way, when we get to the lists, don't worry, we're not going to do this with every name. It's clear. Remember, we said 12. Verse 10, it says, they moved from Elam in the camp by the Red Sea. And from from the Red Sea, we camped then, notice in verse 11, by the wilderness of Sin. You see that with me? Are you there? Can you see that? Not if you're alive. Okay. The wilderness of sin, by the way, Exodus, we've gone now to Exodus 16, is where the manna begins. And all of a sudden, we start to see God provide for our daily needs. Oh, he's been doing it, but now it becomes more clear and evident because every day we need to get up and gather it. And we see the need to get up in the morning and gather that bread, that daily bread. Can you tell me that moment when you saw God and you said, you know what, Lord, from this point on, I need you daily. I want you to be daily, not just Sundays, not just Christmas and Easter, but now, God, I want you daily because that's the wilderness of sin experience. And it was there that God then gives us the law to gather together and to gather that stuff, which we call manna, which means what is it? That's what it means. To this day, we'll say maze, which means what is it? Maner. So someone goes, hey, I just got this stuff. What's it called? Uh, what is it? Whatchamacallit? Whatever the keyword would be. Dumaflachi. 
thingamajigs. But where God provides something and you're like, what is it? And it turns out to be sustenance. Maybe he does it with a friend. Where all of a sudden someone, you would have, you know, what, really? And then it turns out to be one of your closest friends and you didn't expect it. Or something that just comes out of nowhere and it comes and you don't even recognize what it is at first and then you blink a couple times and God says, this is my provision for you. And you go, really? Beloved, you're having, and I don't want to say a wilderness of sin moment, so let's just call that a manna moment. We keep the word sin out of it. From there we went from the wilderness of sin camp to Dovka and from Dovka to Walush and from Walush we came to our next stop now, Refidim. Refidim, by the way, now, becomes a very important place. One, two, three, four, five. This is our sixth place, right? Which then we're halfway there. Refidim, by the way, was where Moses has to strike the rock to get water. But it is also the place where Joshua shows up. Because it's the place where Amalek attacks the weak and the beggarly, the haggardly. Joshua rises up. This is the place where Moses discovers, as long as my hands are raised, the battle is won. Have you ever had moments like that? You have Rafidim moments where the battle takes place. And I understand why, because if, if Amalek didn't attack, they would have just lived there in the valley. Can't we just stay here? We stuck the rock. Millions of gallons are flowing out. This is a great place to live. Isn't this good enough? And then Amalek attacks, which, by the way, is always a type of the flesh. Do you remember that moment when the flesh started attacking and you just raised your hands? You said, Lord God, I just have to surrender myself to you afresh. And you saw the victory. Do you remember your Rephidim moments? Can you lead me to a couple of those? All of this takes place within three months. The first six of our twelve our three-month period. Actually, to the seventh. Verse 15, they departed from Rephidim and camped at the wilderness of Sinai. This, of course, is the place where we get the law. This is the place where we get the diagram for the, the blueprints for the tabernacle, where the priesthood is set up, where the sacrifices are set up. That takes us all the way through to the end of, of Exodus when the tabernacle is set up. It takes us all the way through the book of Leviticus where the sacrifices are set up. It takes us all the way through to ten chapters into the book of Numbers. Sinai takes us then from Exodus chapter 19 all the way through to Numbers 10. How amazing is that? And there we become a people. The church is established. This is my place now. And I'm going to get into his word. And I'm going to let his word teach me. And I'm going to take his calling upon my life. And all of a sudden things start to change. Because from this point now, everything changes even in this Up to this point, we discover how God provides. We discover how God brings peace. We discover how God brings rest. We discover how, and we discover him. And then he takes us to this place, and we discover his word, and we discover his intimacy, and how he wants to be among us. And we discover how everything is about how God wants to be at the center of the camp. And from the center of the camp, we discover our callings. And then from this point on, everything becomes about dying. For the period that we're here, we have set up a golden calf 
while we were here, Moses broke those first Ten Commandments, the, the tablets. While we were here, Moses drew a line in the sand and the Levites stepped forward and said, you know what, I'm going to stand with God. While we were here, the tabernacle got constructed and God's glory filled the tabernacle and we realized as long as he's in the center of the camp, man, everything is good. Now let me ask you, have you had that moment, Christian, where you realize his word is what you need to discover who he is and that he deserves to be at the center of your life? He's not the salad on your plate that most people don't eat. He's the main course. And everything, fulfillment, identity, ambition, priorities, all of that starts, originates with him now and how that changes. If you've not had that experience, my prayer for you is you have a Sinai moment right here, right now. And God, by his Holy Spirit, says he's right, you know, because everything changes. And all of a sudden, I warn you, when that happens, the world will be less fun. Because you know what God starts doing from that point on? He starts killing the old man. Because it is time to see what happens when God interjects himself. And now we might move to the second half, and it'll move quickly. Verse 16 is the next major, next major site. We move from the wilderness to Sinai camp at Kibroth Hata'ava. Now we've gone and made our way to from Numbers chapter 11. And in Numbers chapter 11, by the way, remember, this is where now the people have complained and said, oh, we need meat. There's 600,000 guys and their families. We need meat. <coughs> and you remember as they were chewing, they died. They surrendered to their own cravings, and they, the place is called the Graves of Longing. And listen, the moment I start opening his word, God starts the beautiful gift of killing. Listen, listen, listen. Don't lose me. He starts the, the privilege of killing who I was. And boy, that needs to die. We're not just talking about that stuff I wanted to die, that mean, violent, angry person. But now the stuff I thought was sort of cool but doesn't play out in the kingdom of heaven. The same way that when a guy gets married, some stuff works okay when you're single, but it ain't playing in marriage. And you start trying to pull out your, your, you know, your swag, and your wife goes, honey, or however she says it, swag ain't welcome in this house. You already won me. You can put the swag away. Yeah, but I like my swag. I like my lean. I like my walk. She's like, honey, you won me. Stop it. You need to die. For this relationship to be healthier, the old dies. And to be honest, for the love of the relationship, it's worth it. See, that's the beauty of, of what happens at Mount Sinai. Because at Mount Sinai, God says, I didn't just pull you out of all that so you could just be a nice person. I pulled you out of that first and foremost because I want to be real with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to be close with you. That's the whole point of it. Now that we have this relationship, let me kill the stuff that doesn't work. So we leave Mount Sinai and expect it to die. And one of those things is my cravings. Those things where it's like, I've got to be, this is my ambition. And by the way, a place that just says, you just start telling God your dreams and get, have him get behind it, have not gotten to Kibroth Hata'ava yet. The place that says, God, you kill every craving except for the ones for you. Now, give me a hunger and a passion for your will. 
I don't want you to get behind me. I want to get behind you. And then we have this crazy list, right? Verses 18 through 35. It'll please you to know. Somewhere in this list, and this is the best part about it. You ready? These names, right? Rithmach, Rimon Perez, Libna, Hisa, Kehlert, Shifer, Herada, Nachelot, Tahat, Dera, Mitka, Hashmona, Moserot, Yaakan, and then my, that wonderful Horha Gidgad. Do you know what's missing in all of this? Somewhere in all of this is Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 16. 17. You know what happened then? That's when the nation came up to this place, the Jordan last time, and said, we won't go. But he doesn't list it. Strange. Here is where Kadesh Barnea is supposed to be. Of all of these places that God is reviewing, why doesn't he review this one? You know why? Because he's not doing this to humiliate. He's not doing this to shame. He's doing this to encourage. And this is the places of God's victories. Even the graves of craving is a place where we let go of what doesn't belong to his will anymore. And that's a victory for God. You get it? That's the most amazing part about this. And somewhere in all of this, maybe there are those moments. And what's amazing is how many times that's the place we know. That's the place we take God back to. Oh God, remember that place when I fell on my face and I slipped with that person or I did this drug or I did this thing and I ruined this thing and I totally made a mockery out of you. Oh, remember this place. But we read that when God forgives our sin, He chooses to remember it no more. We want to keep taking Him back to Kadesh Barnea. And God says, what? It's not on my list. Because His blood has washed us free. Stop taking God back to places you failed. And let the blood cover it like it's supposed to. Because how are we going to look forward with the hope of a victory if we keep looking at these things from the perspective of our defeats? Does that make sense? Isn't this beautiful? Remember this chapter where you're like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, next chapter. Can you see why I'm so excited about going through this? So look it. We went from there. Somewhere in all of that, verse 36. Now we've made it through all of that. Korah's rebellion is chapter 16. Aaron's rod that butted is 17. Of all of that, the only thing we're going to remember is the rod that butted, because that's going to wind up in the uh, ark, by the way. Verse 36, we moved from there, from Etienne Geber, and camped at the wilderness of Zin. Different from the wilderness of Sin. There's Sin and Zin. You'd think this is the place where they serve light wine. Not exactly. This was the place, by the way, where Miriam will die. And he says goodbye to his sister. And that place, by the way, is Kadesh. But this Kadesh is the time now we're in Numbers 20, where Moses fails, where he strikes the rock that he's supposed to speak to. So why is God reminding him of this? Because something else had to die here. All that anger and that self-righteousness, all of that entitlement has to die too. You know what, God? I just want to be your servant. So we go to Kadesh, and this is where Miriam dies. This is where Moses fails. But this is where God still gives water to the people anyways, even in his failure. He 
still takes care of us. And then we get to verse 37. We move, we move from there to, to Mount Chor, and this is the place that God reminds us of a specific event. Because you know what happens there? He has to say goodbye to his brother. And that takes us, by the way, now. When Miriam dies, by the way, in verse 36, it is the first month of the 40th year, which means this long list of, of places is our 40-year journey. By verse 36, we're at the end of that. Four, we're at the beginning of the 40th year. By the time that Aaron dies, it's the fifth month, so five months in between, brother and sister, and they both pass away. But remember, God said the entire generation is going to pass away except two guys, Joshua and Caleb, and the only one that's living besides them is Moses, and he knows it. So what happens then? We're almost done now. From all of that, and can I just say? Can you remember those times? Now listen, here's the difference. Aaron to Moses was the guy he leaned on so he wouldn't lead like he should. Remember when he kept telling God, I, 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 I know you're calling me to it, but I'm not really that good. Could you have him do it instead? And I don't know who your lean on is or what your lean on is. Sometimes it's not even a person, it's a thing. Some people it's like, you know, I just need a little this and I'm going to be okay with it. I know some people, they can't get on stage without a shot. And God says, it's time to let Aaron die. For some, by the way, it's the light bearer, and it's the person that led you to the Lord. And as they led you to the Lord, and you prayed there with them, and and you had this walk, and they discipled you, but sooner or later, you got to get launched. And you start leading others. And they may be there for counsel, but they're not your lifeline. Jesus is. I have a beautiful 17-year-old daughter, and in a year, she's got to go live life without us. Not because we're kicking her out of the house. Because she's 18. And my prayer is she'll be ready. She may call us for advice on things, recipes or whatever. She may call her sister for advice, strange as that is. Who's 12 by that point. But I'll tell you what. Our goal is not to make her dependent on us for the rest of her life, right? And that's who Aaron was. He's the light bearer. Someone led you to the Lord and they're walking with you and discipling. Praise God. But prayerfully, they will lead you to disciple others. But don't you become the Savior because you're not. And don't you think you are. Invest in love. Invest and watch them blossom. That's the blessing of being a pastor. But then after a while, then comes Mariam, and she's got to die too. She was always that one person that gave that sharp counsel. She was the one that said, who died and made you, Bob? She came, she left first. And I imagine it would have been rougher to see his brother go. They go up the hill together. And as they go up the hill together, Moses is going to go down with his son. He's going to be the new high priest. And I wonder how beautiful that moment would be. It's been a crazy ride, hasn't it, bro? Forty years in the wilderness. We've watched God do these things. We could review all of these together. Oh, by the way, um, bro, one last thing. When I said that I threw gold in the fire and out came the cat, I, I was I was just lying. Right? I was I was I wasn't. See Moses going. I know. I know. Just go ahead and die, bro. Down he goes. I think 
at that point, if it gets a point, listen, 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 we're almost done. Don't lose me, please. If it gets a point where we realize it's us and him, us individually and him, not just my family and him, our church and him, but that place where you're like, you know what, Lord, it's just you and me. In the center of the camp, you'd think it would happen there, but sometimes the Lord just meets you at a place where you would say, I feel so alone except for you, and that's enough. Can you tell me your Mount Chor moment? Where it seems like at that moment all there was but you and him, and that was okay? Well, then you know. But what's interesting is it's here that something else happens, and I think this is profound. Because at this moment, the Canaanites that were supposed to go take the land, they come over and they take a bunch of us captive. And we are for the first time, for the first time on the offensive. Before that point, the only time we fought was to defend ourselves. Before that point, the only time we fought was to defend ourselves. So someone came up and said, oh, you're a Christian, what does that mean? And you defended yourself. Oh, you believe in that, what does that mean? And you defended yourself. And from this point... Everything changes. The moment that Aaron is left up on the hill, the moment that you go, God, it's just got to be me and you, everything changes, and you go on the offensive. And all of a sudden, some of our families are taken captive, and we do a reconnaissance, and we say, boys, let's go get our family. See what happens at that moment. And what happens? We take down that king. We get every, every, every person back. Numbers. Now, chapter 21. And we say, Lord, if you do this, we're going to follow you with everything. He says, all right, let's go. And then we have these lists here now. Somewhere in all of this is the fiery serpent, also not mentioned by name, by the way, specifically. And then it takes us to the end where it says they camped at the Jordan, at Bet Shemosh, or Bet Yeshemosh. Do you see that in verse 49? In between those spots now, verses 42 to 49, we've had our battles with Sihon and Og, where we've taken down the Amorites. We've gotten the land of of the Amorites and Bashan, where the two and a half tribes want to be, by the way. We're on the plains of Moab, by the way. Interestingly enough, do you notice we don't read Baal Peor in this? Remember what happened there? Well, we failed with the Moabite women. Strange, that's not listed here either, is it? Again, another place where God says, let's not go there again. Let's not revisit that. Let's talk about victories here. Because see, from the moment that Aaron died, everything says now there's ground to be gained. That's what happens now. Because the moment you start going, you know, this has to be my walk. This has to be my walk with the Lord. This is my relationship with the Lord. Let's move forward. God says, good, let's start taking some ground. How about those people that you know that are your brothers and sisters that are taken captive right now? Do you want to go and get them? Let's go, get, let's go and get them. And do you know those guys? Guys that are your brothers in Christ but addicted to porn. Guys right now that are out there saying, you know what, it's cool. Let's just go out and go clubbing. But they're addicted to alcohol and they're, they're, they're smacking whatever it is. And you're like, you know what, I want to go and get you. Girls, and you know that they're addicted to, to one relationship or another. They're giving up all of their virtue when they're saying it's okay because God's going to forgive. But you know what it is. is deep down inside of that. They need to find Christ in that spot. Girls, then go on reconnaissance. I'm sending you. Guys, go on reconnaissance. I'm sending you. Let's go get them and bring them back, shall we? 
And as we do then, let's start taking more ground. Because once those guys get, get brought in and made right, you know what happens? They become soldiers too when the army starts growing. And they're like, now let's go after the lost. Let's start going after the others. Because we're standing at the, this place now where we're going to cross the Jordan. And when we cross the Jordan, there will be battles to be fought. But it's a place of abundance, overflow, and fruitfulness. And I don't want you staying behind. So God goes, let me just remind you, the reason these people are asking for this land is because we've just had victory over every place and everyone who's gone after us. There has not been a single defeat in any battle. You fought, be it out of defense or now on the offense, you've lost no battles. Let me remind you that the only time where you've ever seen loss is where you've turned on me, is what the Lord says. So follow me across, will you? Follow me across. As we go to prayer, and today on this day of communion, the first Sunday of the month, when we turn our hearts and we ask God, all right, God, we don't want to just do these things. Is there anything in me that's missing? Anything in me right now where I'm still somehow in that place where I want to stay east of the Jordan, but you're calling me to more? Let today be the day where you're like, God, I don't even know what in the world I'm doing, but I'm going to follow you. You will not regret it. Will there be battles to be fought? Sure, but you're not going to fight them alone. You're only, first of all, the Lord's the one who's supposed to fight your battle, and we get to walk side by side in those. Isn't that beautiful? There is an army here that God is seeking to recruit. And the offensive weapon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in case you didn't know what that is, Jesus died for your sins on the cross, just like Scripture promised. He was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead to give you new life. And if you haven't accepted that gift, I'm offering it to you now. As we go to prayer, I'd like to offer you, have you accepted the gift of Jesus? If you haven't or you're not sure, you can walk out of here sure knowing that you have. If you have said yes, will you be ready to say, Lord, show me these moments in my life so that I am ready to walk forward with you. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of this text. Thank you for what you've done here. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've walked us from place to place. I want to thank you right now, Lord, for those moments in my life. Those moments, Lord, when, you, when I noticed you led me. Those moments in like Sukkot. I want to thank you, Lord, for those moments, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, Lord. Those moments, Lord, where I saw you make a way out of no way, like Pihahirot. I want to thank you, Lord, for those moments where you took something so bitter, so toxic, and made it sweet because you threw the cross in. I want to thank you, Lord, for those moments where I discovered your leading and where I found your refreshment like Elam. I want to thank you, Lord, for those moments, Lord, when you showed me victory over the flesh, where you showed me my hands raised that you have great victory there and you pulled water out of nowhere, where we realize that there's a relationship to be had and as you start to lead me to that, where you became my daily bread and you led me to Sinai, where I discovered you wanted to be at the center of my life where you had a place specifically for me, a calling uniquely and bespoke for me. 
And in that, Lord, you called me to follow you. But as you called me to follow you now, with your word in my heart and hand, seeking you daily in it, things started to die. Those cravings now started to die. Those things that I leaned on that I shouldn't have, or maybe for a season it was okay, but now it's not, they start to die. To where it becomes a relationship, a maturity of me and you. And in all of that, all of the contention ceasing, all of those fights of your authority over my life ceasing, like Miriam, those moments, Lord, when I finally turn to you and say, all right, I surrender, lead me. Use me to transform this world because you changed the world in me, now change the world around me. And Lord, may I never sit on the banks of the Jordan and say, this is good enough when you call me forward. And now with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I ask you, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ at the cross? If you haven't, I'm giving you that choice. I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that be my prayer now. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'm not perfect. You and I both know it. And you as a righteous judge punish all wrong. But because you so love me, you sent Jesus, your only begotten son, to die on the cross on my behalf so that my sin could be properly punished. But that I wouldn't have to be. And he's paid my debt. There at the cross, my debt was paid. And just like you promised, three days later, he rose again to be more than just the Savior who died for me, but my risen Lord, the one who lives in the center of my camp, the one who is to be the center of my life, the one who is to lead me and give me that calling and use me. And so I say yes. I say yes to the gift of Jesus at the cross and yes to his lordship in my life. I cry out to you and I give myself to you and say, here I am. I'm yours now. I make the choice to give you my life. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, we ask you to say, Amen.